0: Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. What's like when somebody orders something? What's the most annoying thing to have to make when you're like, ugh, God? Any drink with
1: sweet cream foam.
0: It's all cold drinks (laughs) with sweet cream on top. They put it on everything. Everything. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. When we called Jacob Lawson, a 23-year-old Starbucks shift supervisor from Utah, he was on his way to another Starbucks store in Idaho to help them start a union.
1: It's not too far from Utah. I mean, it's 150 miles, but it's I've driven farther to go help a store unionized
0: when we first reached 20-year-old Layla Dalton, a former Starbucks employee, who says she was fired for union activity, she had flown from Arizona to Wisconsin to visit another fired employee for moral support.
2: My first instinct is, let me reach out to them and see how they're doing, because I know, I know exactly how I felt when I got fired. Hi, Hi. can I get a softened caramel clean and cold fruit, please, by Monday?
0: By now, you've probably heard that the Starbucks union is having a moment, as are unions in general. Maybe you've even heard the term hot labor summer floating around on social media. The National Labor Relations Board says petitions to file unions have risen over 50% in the past year, and Starbucks makes up nearly a quarter of new petitions since January of 2021. More than 175 stores in 30 states have won union elections. And a reason for Starbucks' relative success? One is their locations are small, so it's easier to get a simple majority vote in a store of 18 employees versus around 2,000 warehouse workers, like for Amazon. But Starbucks is also a chain. And the movement is pretty collaborative, made up of mostly young people who are talking to each other across stores and sharing organizing tactics. So we invited a few of these Starbucks workers from different parts of the country to tell us what their experience has been like.
1: I've I've been up for 13 hours. I'm sorry, I look horrible.
0: Oh, that's okay. I love that the Tuft is beautiful, Jacob. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and Layla, are you Zooming in from a cave? I'm in my girl cave, I guess you could call it. I thought
3: that was a Starbucks break room.
0: (laughs) There was Jacob Lawson.
3: I
1: work at the Cottonwood Heights Starbucks location in Utah. And I uh, am a shift supervisor as well. I'm there literally like five days a week.
0: And Layla Dalton.
2: I am in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I was the lead organizer who got fired. Um, In my
0: opinion, it was illegal. And Benjamin South, who's 33. I live
3: in Ithaca, New York, and I'm a shift supervisor as well.
0: When we spoke on a Friday afternoon in early June, they were each going through different turns in the unionizing story. Some victories, some defeats, and some very real consequences of going up against a multi-billion dollar company. Jacob, so you... What is going on in your store? You've been part of an organizing effort. What happened today?
1: Oh, it's a fun fact. We just won our union today. Um, Our vote was counted. It was 11 to 6. And, you know, I want to talk about that because I was expecting it to be, like, more close to unanimous. But for some reason, they counted all the no votes first. (laughs) So it was just, like, six no votes. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was uh, hitting rock bottom for a second. And then all of a sudden, all the yes votes came out. It was an immense relief. Um, it's been very, very scary with like our manage- management's behavior. And, you know, like about six weeks ago, our manager just stopped showing up. And they've just been having, like, alternating managers come in and union bust here and there, you know.
0: The manager that stopped showing up was Jacob's friend before the union efforts started. They used to hang out outside of work. He was invited to her wedding.
1: Like, we were really close with our manager. Like, our store was perfect.
0: But things changed. The environment got heated. His manager started advising everyone to vote no and warned that they could lose benefits if they joined a union.
1: I think she got a lot of corporate pressure, you know, and she was scared.
0: And then they stopped talking.
1: I start hearing that she is talking behind my back uh, while I'm not at the store. And so I start distancing myself.
0: So, Jacob, you just said union bust. Um, I want to say a Starbucks spokesman told the New York Times that the company is not anti union, but pro partner, um, which is how it refers to its employees, and also said it has historically made changes in response to input from workers, making a union unnecessary. Um, But, Jacob, can you? I want to be able to picture you're describing watching vote totals come in. Like, where did you do that? How did that work? So, we did
1: it in the lobby of the store. I was just, you know, I, I bought some pizzas. One of my organizing committee members bought some sparkling cider. Um, she brought a laptop that was set up on top of the pizzas. And then we just had, you know, friends there, union um, supporters, committee members, and we just watched it count down. And I wrote union, yes, and then no, um, two different parts of the board. And I just did tallies as they came out. Um, and every yes, you know, we did like a little, a little chant
0: What's the chant? And we were just like, yes.
1: (laughs) Or I was just like, another one. You know, it was nothing crazy.
0: So, Benjamin, I want to turn to you. Um, Can you remember that day when your location voted to unionize? What was it like there?
3: Yeah, um, at our store when we did our vote, we actually uh, unionized as an entire city in Ithaca, which is a little different than how a lot of places have been doing it. So we had all three votes on one day, and we had it up on a big projector, and we just had a room full of everybody from all three stores, and it happened a lot like Jacob's where everybody was just cheering for each yes vote. Each store only had one no vote, so I think we had it a little more lucky than it sounds like you did, Jacob. That sounds scary. A little bit.
0: And what happened to your store today? Tell me more about that.
3: Well... Today was the last day we were open, actually, a month and a half after we unionized and a month after we went on strike for a grease trap that leaked all over our store. They told us they were closing our store and that they would negotiate about our jobs and bargaining.
0: I'm really sorry, Benjamin. Um, Is this an outcome that you at all envisioned when you made that yes vote, that your store where you'd worked? was going to close down?
3: Well, I'd certainly read about all the various forms of union busting, but I never thought they'd close our entire store. We're a very profitable store off from the Cornell campus, so there's not really many reasons to close such a prime property.
0: And Benjamin, you mentioned soon after your vote, like weeks after your vote to form a union, you all went on strike. Um, what That seems like a going from zero to 60 really fast. Is that what it felt like? It definitely
3: felt like that because our strike wasn't really talked about. It kind of was a spur of the moment thing. We were very understaffed and we had a grease trap in the back that has smelled absolutely putrid since I started there. And on that day, it just leaked all over the place. So I called our manager and he told us to stay open and just have someone clean it up. So, I just talked with everyone in the store, kind of explained what striking was and what protections we had if we did it. And we told our boss we were walking out. After a disgusting mishap, Starbucks workers in Ithaca went on strike.
0: According to the shift supervisor, the workers were being forced to work in unsafe conditions.
1: What do we
2: want? do we want? Now. If we don't get it.
0: If
2: we don't get it.
0: So, you were part of the the impetus for that. You were like, let's get out of here. We've got protections.
3: Yeah, I um I was the one that led the strike and, you know, tried to talk to everybody about it and see how they felt before we did it.
0: Hmm. Are you personally worried about money?
3: Yeah, I'm terrified. I'm the kind of person who lives about two like missed work days away from falling into abject poverty. So It's very scary. This week has all been about trying to raise funds and make sure every worker stays paid while we fight them on this.
0: Hmm. How are you raising the money?
3: Right now we're using GoFundMe and we keep holding like sippins where you can go and stand on the picket line or go inside and get a free water and just tip the baristas really high. The one we did on Wednesday got us over $900 in tips. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Layla, have you been following what's been going on in Ithaca from where you are in arizona
2: yeah i've I follow everything let's just say <laughs> i got I got plenty of time to follow it
0: so you've been out of work uh and and uh, in challenging being out of work um since april um you know when you lose your job you lose your your paycheck um but Starbucks also provides benefits like, you know, uh, an ability to to go to school at Arizona State University. Um, Is that something that you took advantage of? I did indeed. And they took that away
2: in a heartbeat. Fortunately, my parents say things are okay. But I mean, both my parents, which are divorced, they both have health issues. My dad, who just got a kidney transplant, needs another one. And my mom has cancer. So I my parents don't like to keep me in the loop, especially since they know I worry about their health. So I mean, unfortunately things happen the way they did, but I think I'll think I'll figure it out some way.
0: <laughs> You've got other things you're worrying about, it sounds like. Yes. <laughs> Layla was fired in early April. She says it was for union organizing, that management started reprimanding her for minor things they would have let slide before. A Starbucks spokesperson told us it was because she illegally recorded conversations with people at work without their knowledge, and a disciplinary conversation she had with a manager. Layla posted that one online.
2: I've been here for three years, and no one communicated any of this with I have shared with you. Okay, no. Uh, so, we have, like, you never came to me and said, I'm going to get this on a documentation. You
0: never said that. When Layla was fired, her case was quickly picked up by labor lawyers who argue it was an illegal firing. And hers is not the only such case. In the past year, over 40 Starbucks employees have filed complaints over unlawful terminations. And some have been reinstated. But the week before our taping, Layla lost an effort to get reinstated while the National Labor Relations Board considered her case. So she's not back at work.
2: I mean, it's just I'm le- I'm learning a lot of legal stuff. I'm, I'm realizing how everyone has a motive. And at the end of the day, you have to be careful because... Starbucks is a $52 billion company and they could do a lot and they could switch the story around and switch your words really easily. And I think the lawyers have been a little too confident in the case. Hmm. And I think that I could have gotten prep. I didn't get any preparation before the hearing. So it's just been complicated and I'm just hoping that the next steps are going to go better.
0: <laughs> Coming up, we talk about when work bleeds into home life and the other way around. Am I right that you all, you live with a fellow Starbucks colleague? Is that right? Yeah, actually. My,
1: one of my organizing committee members, I live with her. Um, I open the store five days a week. She closes the store five days a week.
0: I a quick message for you that I'm actually recording on my phone from a hotel room after my flight home from a family reunion was canceled. So I'm making do with the recording studio I have. I wanted to let you know that we are going to be taking your questions again about student loans and the changing rules around them in the United States. It felt like an important time to check in with our friend, student debt expert Betsy Mayotte, as the federal student loan payments are set to resume at the end of August after being paused throughout the pandemic. There's also an important deadline coming up this fall if you think you might be eligible for the public service loan forgiveness program. So if you have questions about all this and how it Affects your student debt, and it's totally understandable if you do because it's very confusing. Send us a voice memo. Record yourself telling us about your situation and what your questions are, and then send the recording to us at debtsexmoney at WNYC.org. And whether or not you have student debt, let me recommend that you take a look at our previous reporting on student loans. To me, this is a topic that encompasses so much our individual financial decisions as we try to seek out opportunities for ourselves, how the costs of our higher education institutions have radically transformed and who's asked to pay for it, and how our government has and hasn't responded You can find our in-depth series about all this driven by your individual stories at deathsexmoney.org slash studentloans. And we also did a special episode in 2020 in collaboration with NPR's Life Kit, where we answered your questions about pandemic student loan forbearance. You can find a link to both of those in our show notes. So again, send us your student loan questions at wnyc.org, and we will do our best to get some of them answered. That is, if this airline ever lets me get back home. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure— just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. When I was growing up in West Virginia, when I heard about unions, I pictured coal miners on a picket line. We learned labor songs in school and the history of the labor movement in 20th century America. That movement was at its peak in 1954, when 35 percent of the American workforce was unionized. Then came the decline of domestic manufacturing in the U.S., along with the spread of business-friendly policies that made it harder to unionize. In 2021, just 10 percent of American workers belonged to a union. And less labor power has meant a lot of things. There's been a decline in real wages that's coincided with that drop. And there's less mentoring for organizing efforts. Fewer lessons are being passed down. Layla told us she's finding guides through DMs with other young organizers, like the leader of the successful Amazon organizing effort on Staten Island.
2: Chris Smalls. I look up to him just for everything he's done. And I'm excited because he's about to be in Phoenix and I'm going to meet him. And I
0: see him as a real inspiration for everything he's done. Jacob, when did you first become aware of Layla? How did you all connect? You know,
1: it was from, it was on Twitter.
2: You actually came, you actually, you texted
0: me the day I got fired.
1: <laughs> hey, oh, really? I texted her the day she got fired. There we go. Yeah.
0: Have you met in person yet?
1: We Not- haven't unfortunately, just a lot of FaceTime.
0: We will soon.
1: We'll soon indeed. But for the most part like she's told me that if they fire me, she'll be she'll just start driving. She'll be up here. Like, you know, it's about a 12-hour drive, but she'll be up here.
0: <laughs> I will. When do you Facetime? Like, are they strategic conversations? Are they sort of morality conversations?
2: There's, there's just a lot of ranting going on. especially with Jacob still at work, and the more there's always stuff happening, and it's interesting to hear about like how similar it is, but also different in a certain aspect because the same thing happens all over, but there's just It just happened in a different way. And it's crazy to think about how I mean his manager just stopped showing up. Mine went on a trash run, never came back. Did that actually
1: happen? Yeah. That was wild. Oh my god. So
2: things like that. It's it's really easy to relate with someone who's worked at Starbucks. And especially with the whole process and you know, talking to someone that's going through retaliation. I mean being a person that's gotten fired, all I want to do is help others, prepare them that if you're fired, things are going to be OK. It's not the end of the world. I will be there. All these partners will be there. A whole nation will be like behind you.
0: Still, when I asked these Starbucks workers whether they had thought much about unions before the first Starbucks store in Buffalo organized in 2021, they said mostly No. It's not that there weren't issues. They wish they got paid more. There could be short staffing.
2: Sometimes there's only two people on the floor, and it takes a lot out of you.
0: There were COVID safety issues. So
2: I got COVID.
1: We all got COVID.
0: But all that just seemed like par for the course when it comes to food service work. Buffalo's success changed that. And for Benjamin, it started to change not just how he thought about his job, but also his parents' jobs and what life had been like for them when he was growing up in Cortland, New York, a small city in the middle of the state.
3: My parents both worked in the same factory. They worked in a factory where they bottled those little shampoos for <laughs> hotels and stuff.
0: Oh, uh-huh. Is that factory still operating there?
3: Yeah, it's kind of like one of the like job hubs of Cortland.
0: Uh-huh. And is there? Is it a unionized workplace?
3: No, it's not. It could afford, it it needs to be, but it's not.
0: (laughs) Are your parents both living now?
3: My mom's not, but my father is. He just retired last year.
0: Have you all talked at all about what's going on with your workplace?
3: Yeah, yeah, sort of.
0: What's he make of it?
3: He's not the most supportive person. I mean, the only thing he said to me when I told him about it which I was fearful to do because I expected this response was, I guess you want to get fired then. And it was really tough coming from him because I watched him work my entire life and then retire almost on minimum wage. Hmm.
0: Can you tell me more about what that felt like to hear having watched your dad work really hard and and in your view, not finish his working life with any kind of stability? Like what, what was that like for you to hear from him that he was like, this risk is, might not be worth it?
3: I think it made me want to mobilize more just because I and so many other people I work with, even at the college app store, um, could probably face that sort of future if we didn't do something like this. I mean, I, Jacob was talking about how many no votes were at his store. And I always try to talk to my co-workers about the people who don't support our union because they're our co-workers as well and hearing someone like my dad say that just made me want to advocate for the people who don't believe because what better way to show someone that you have protection than to protect them as a worker
0: oh so I just want to say back and I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying You're saying to just keep advocating and to keep showing even people who aren't supportive of the union what it could mean materially to improve their lives and their workplace, that that's a way to build long-term support. Yeah, absolutely. And, Benjamin, when your dad said, I hope you don't get fired, and now your store has closed, do you think you'll talk to him about that?
3: We spoke about it, but we... spoke about it the way of father and son who are bad at talking about their emotions talk about these <laughs> things. <laughs> um, I didn't really have a choice not to just because there was so much news coverage of it, but I didn't really worry about it validating his ideas of unions or anything because he hasn't really kept with that energy. I just kind of felt relieved that he knew and I hope he sees what we're doing and it changes his mind and Mm. makes him feel seen as a former worker.
0: Is there anybody in your life, Benjamin, that you can turn to and say like, um, I know this might be worth it in the long run, but I am I am pretty freaked out. I'm scared.
3: I'd say probably every member of our union. We mm. have a lot of conversations like that beyond just organizing things. Um, the experience in our store sounds a lot like What everybody on this call went through. It's been kind of psychological warfare, it feels like.
1: Yeah, psychological warfare is the perfect word because I've said that on many occasions, like to my team. I'm like, they're engaging in psychological warfare on us. So I was like, you know, we've been very aware just because it's like, I think every, every, all all of us have experienced our
3: managers trying to use like emotional manipulation to get us to vote now. You really need to. Come up with your own terms to combat all of the weird Starbucks terms that they use to gaslight us with. Yeah, absolutely. At my store, um, I stole this
1: from The Simpsons. Yes. Um, there's uh, an episode where like Homer is sent to India and he like lets the workers at the nuclear power plant unionize. And they're chanting, like, bon Shabbai," which it's apparently supposed to translate to vote union. So we'll say that to each other on the on the floor, because management doesn't know what it means.
3: <laughs> I'm stealing that.
1: <laughs> so we, we use that, like, in the very beginning, because I got COVID and I binge-watched
3: the literally entirety of The Simpsons, because I was out for, like, a month. Oh. Jacob, speaking of The Simpsons, yes, or the other day when we got... Nine hundred dollars in tips from one of our boycotts. I was going around and saying nine hundred dollar dues. Wonderful. <laughs> I love that, um,
0: Benjamin. I just want to ask you um, just one more one more question. Um, I know today's been a big day. The, the doors are locking at your location. Um, unclear if they'll ever be unlocked again. What's going to happen? Where you're going to report for work next? Um, what are the questions? that you are sort of gonna be thinking about as you lay down to bed tonight? What do you think you'll be thinking about?
3: Um, well, the reopening of our store is unclear, but we're gonna keep fighting for it. We can't lose hope. Um, I'm not looking for another job right now. We are gathering funds so we can all stay in this battle and keep fighting. We'll see how it goes in a couple of weeks when I'm even more poor. <laughs> Maybe I'll find another place to unionize at the same time.
0: Right before we put this episode out, we called Jacob, Layla, and Benjamin back. Layla says her official hearing for reinstatement is later this month, and she's feeling confident. Jacob told us that when he went back to his store for the first time after the successful union vote, things felt even more tense.
1: They immediately started retaliating after we unionized.
0: A Starbucks spokesperson told us that any allegations of anti-union animus are categorically false. And Benjamin, he told us he's actually taking a step back from the union to take care of his mental health.
3: It's just A lot of the, like, gaslighting tactics I personally experienced from management when our store was still open just kind of brought up things that I experienced from a Not just like adults, but like people in my life that I was supposed to learn from when I was a kid. And I don't think I was really prepared to experience them in a workplace environment because it's work and you shouldn't have to think you were going to, so.
0: His store location is still closed. He's still getting a paycheck from fundraising the union set up. And so far, it's near what he was making before, minus tips. He's not sure how long the funds will last, but he's hopeful he'll get another job at Starbucks at some point. And when he does, he'll get back to organizing. And in his spare time, he's been taking his dog for long walks.
3: Ithaca is plenty full with gorges and trails. You could pretty much walk two miles and get to a new hiking spot you've never been to before.
0: Yeah. Is time off where you weren't having to go in for hourly work? Is that Is that an experience you've had as an adult?
3: I've been in and out of Starbucks every summer for the past four or five years. So I mostly just know summer around here from like the windows of a Starbucks, as that is. And it's nice to be outside of them.
0: Benjamin South in Ithaca, New York, Layla Dalton in Phoenix, and Jacob Lawson outside Salt Lake City in Utah. Thank you for talking to us for this episode. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Zoe Azule. The rest of the team is Julia Furlong, Affie Yellow Duke, Emily Boutine, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Lily Clark. The Reverend John Delour and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at AnnaSalePix, that's P I C S. The show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Dennis Venning in Canberra, Australia, for being a member of Death, Sex and Money and supporting us with a monthly donation. You can join Dennis and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate.
1: Um, I don't know if you believe in Zodiac stuff, but I'm in Aries. <laughs> so actually, I think Layla is as well.
2: Uh-uh, I'm a cancer.
1: I cry all the time. Okay, that's understandable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.